Microsoft does something good with Windows, something bad with Windows, and the end game is here. At least with Intel, that is. Happy Friday, friends. It has been, uh, been a good week. Been a good week, especially, well, I should say mostly a good week in the world of Windows, but it kind of depends on what side of the camp you fall on because Microsoft did some good things with Windows. They did some bad things with Windows, but they made some changes, which means we have a lot to dig into and sort of uh, talk about here because there's some... Windows is getting interesting again, which makes me really, really happy. Also, some good stuff happened on the gaming side. So let's just dive in. So the first thing of the week is Microsoft dropped their first major update to Windows 11, bringing things like widgets to the taskbar, putting it right down there in that bottom left corner. And you definitely will not accidentally click that opening it trying to find your files. Never going to happen. Either way, uh, Microsoft is clearly saying, look, we're shipping updates. We're shipping updates and they're, they're coming. Android apps in preview now also available. Again, I, I, I don't have a big use case for that, but I know some people, especially if you needed a Kindle app, it's going to be useful. So there's that. Uh, mute, unmute is now on the taskbar. This is really actually helpful if you are a big Teams user and or just audio chat application. One thing I'm trying to figure out, and if anybody knows how to do this, this would be super helpful. I'd love to be able to map that key to a key on my keyboard. While it is nice to have a, a digital or, you know place you can click, it'd be nice to also be able to just to slam a button on the keyboard that would flick that little switch. And that is the next sort of logical step, at least for me, to get that. I know, I think it's Windows key M, maybe when you're on Teams does a mute, but I would really just like to be able to have a universal mute the mic hotkey right there uh, would be awesome. Also, another thing that it's actually useful and I've already used it, we've all been on a video call where you're sharing and all that stuff and you're trying to find that window. Well, now if you go to the taskbar and hover over it and it brings up that little pop-up window, that, that shared Teams or share video or share screen or whatever you're trying to share is right there on the taskbar. That's kind of hard to explain, but it's in the little pop-up window. It's very useful. It's very useful. And I think that's one of the better features that Microsoft released with this update. Now, Microsoft is not one to sit and celebrate on their past achievements because they, they launched this stuff this week and immediately. So they say, look, here's all these new features. Should we should we marinate in this success? Should we go out and be like, look, we're awesome. We're doing great stuff. Nope. As soon as that build went out, just it seemed, it seemed like an hour later, it wasn't quite literally an hour later, Microsoft actually announced the update we all really want for the most part with a minor caveat, which I will talk about here in a second. But this man, this update is big. It's big, 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 big. And it's bringing a lot of the features that everybody wants. Uh, folders on the start menu, although I will tell you the implementation is a little clunky, but Microsoft seems to hedge that that is going to be uh, refined uh, a bit there. Um, there's also this new snap layouts feature. So what happens is, is if you grab a window with your mouse pointer and you drag it near the top of the screen, the the little pop-up that usually shows up over the maximize button shows up at the top of the screen, all full screen, sort of much larger and gives you more options about where to drag a window. It's really handy. Now, if you're a mouse and keyboard only, well, I should say everybody's like mouse person, but if you're a keyboard only user and you like like hotkeys and, and shortcut keys, this may not be the feature for you, but if you're heavy on the mouse, uh, this will be really helpful for those who aren't aware. Windows key and then left arrow, right arrow, or up or down will help you move windows around on a desktop, but this will help you get your window into the perfect spot. It's a nice little feature, not something you absolutely need, but when you need it, it's quite nice. Dark mode is now darker in more places, and I don't mean telling terrible jokes. They've, uh, they're, well, they're getting that dark mode out there. There's still definitely areas that are not dark mode-ish, but yeah. Uh, touch support has also been improved quite a bit. There's new gestures to be able to open things like the start menu, uh, also the system tray area, and so if you're a heavy on the gestures on the screen, this is, this is pretty good. 
This is pretty good. Uh, live captions, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, there's also improvements to quick access at quick access in File Explorer. There, a little whatever the hell that was. Uh, and then OneDrive has a new sync icon in File Explorer. It's sort of in the top right. It looks like whatever. Um, anyways, so there's a down there's there's a downside to this. There's a downside to this. So Microsoft sort of snuck into this release that if you are a Windows Pro user or Windows 11 Pro user of that SKU, up until now you didn't need an internet connection to to install the build. Well, as you can see by my negative tone of voice, that is now changing. So if you want to install Windows 11 Pro, you're going to have to be connected and have to sync up your MSA account. Now, there are workarounds. There are workarounds potentially setting up your own domain. Um, there's some funky installs instructions you can take. But for the vast majority of people, you're going to have to be required to use an MSA. Uh, to get connected and to get past the install prompts. And like, like I said, there are workarounds, but for the vast majority of people who are just trying to plow through an install, you're going to have to connect to the internet, which a lot of people are going to look negatively upon because we don't like to be forced into using these accounts. But if you want all the features, I guess that's kind of what you got to do. Or you can stick with Windows 10, which brings up like a really interesting question of, is Microsoft truly going to end Windows 10 support in 2025? That's a, a mere three years from now. Microsoft is going to be is supposed to be ending ending support for Windows 10. Like if you're on Windows 10 at that time, it's like, well, got to get off. I don't know. I don't know. Because if you go back in time, historically, and not perfectly, Microsoft ships a new OS update every three to four years. Now, Windows 10 was in market in that static state for a lot longer, more closer to five years. And which means by the time Windows 11 is really ready for business, because I don't I could make an argument that it is not ready for for wide scale uh, Windows customers at this point, which means the, the timeline to upgrade is actually really, really compacted. It's It's like we're at three years right now. I would argue that at best, Windows 11 probably shouldn't be installed until this update in the fall, which means we're getting closer to like that two-year timeline of being able to upgrade, which is a really tight window. I, my, I suspect Microsoft might extend Windows 10 support, at least for enterprise customers. We'll see. I wouldn't bank on it. You're going to have to start preparing now effectively if you need to move to Windows 11. But also keep in mind that if you have older Windows 10 hardware, you can't move to Windows 11. So this is sort of one of those things that, hey, we got to be watching it really carefully to see how Microsoft is going to approach this because this is a typical uh, release cadence for Microsoft with Windows. And so we will see. I also have a theory in the back of my head that the reason why we're getting all these features crammed up on the front of Windows 11 is so that they can get them out the door and get Windows 11 stabilized so that it is ready for business. They know that large enterprises are not even looking at this build of Windows 11. They're not thinking about it, but there might be a to think about it which is why they can make all these changes really dynamically and not have to worry about business customers being screwed up by updates and things like that. That is sort of a, a theory because we all know that Windows 11 launched in a pretty rough state, but by the time we hit the one-year mark, it should be pretty good. Now, the one thing that is a little disappointing is that we're sitting here, and my, I'm very much guilty of this myself, it's like rewarding Microsoft for doing things that should have been done already, like folders on the start menu. That was already a thing with prior versions of Windows, and yet here we are like being happy that they're back. It's like, well, why did they ship with that? You guys already knew that. Either way, Microsoft, not the only company that does this. Apple is probably the worst offender. You can look at the latest MacBooks and look, you took away all our ports. You gave them all back. We're all so happy. Yay. Anyways, uh, life goes on. The other question related to this release that we got this week, which is on the dev channel, is... I will admit it's relatively polished. Like it's not it, the start menu folder is a little rough and all that, but I mean it's they're not like hacked together, and only certain people are getting them. 
I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty much out there. The question becomes, when is Microsoft going to roll this out? Now, we've, we've been wondering this a long time with the features that just dropped here in February. Is Microsoft going to try to push this before they do the major release in the fall? Typically, Microsoft would like to lock down a build around the June timeline, be like, that's the build that's going to be the major refresh, and then they go from there. We don't really know. We're sort of in this world of we don't understand how quickly Microsoft is willing to ship this stuff. And so it's one of those things we're going to have to sit and wait and see. I'm on the fence about whether or not they're going to ship this stuff prior to that major refresh. Because let's just be honest. Let's say they do a major refresh or they do the next major build as they claim they would do once per year in the fall. What's it going to include? Are they going to be doing more infrastructure stuff underneath the hood to make it more stable and everything else like that? And that's what the updates are. They're not feature updates. They are core OS updates. Maybe that's the path that Microsoft is going to take. We will find out right now. We kind of got to sit and wait and see that if features are just going to ship whenever they're ready. And then the core update is once per year, which is a little bit more intrusive. But the problem becomes in the world of business is that this is a perfect example. Microsoft now has a, if, if you were running Windows 11 just out of the box on day one in the enterprise, 100,000 people, I'm just making this up. This wouldn't happen. And you launched, everything's in the center, whatever, people got used to it. All of a sudden they see an icon in the bottom left. Keep in mind that it doesn't always show weather right away. It's going to look like a start button. That's going to confuse people. Now, put that on top of a business environment and Microsoft shipping features really frequently. It's going to mess things up potentially just from that workflow. Again, a lot of enterprises look at Windows as an appliance. It's not a tool to have fun and get quirky weather and news things. It's to show up, be able to log into the portal and we'll do whatever you need to do at work. And so stability and cleanness and no changes is what's vital, not necessarily getting a widget on the taskbar. Either way, uh, we'll be watching carefully to see when this comes out because it's you don't can't tell. I really like Windows stuff. Really like it. Uh, anyways, Microsoft announced the Xbox HDR game calibration app is coming to the Windows 11 PC. So if you need to calibrate that HDR, you're going to have an Xbox app to do that. Uh, somewhat exciting too. Microsoft released uh, the .NET 7 Preview 1. If you're in the world of .NET and you like developing stuff, you should apply because Stardog is hiring and we need .NET developers. Um, but either way, uh, .NET 7 Preview 1 now available. And if you've been... If you've been sulking that you didn't have 3D emojis in Microsoft Teams, those will be coming. They're rolling out now, and they'll eventually show up in your tenant. So just be on the lookout for that. And also, Microsoft officially announced that it will be fully reopening its Washington and Bay Area offices finally on February 28th. I shouldn't say finally. I should say thankfully, but it looks like the world is slowly going back to normal. Slowly. we still got a long way to go. Still have a very, very long way to go. But this is a first sign of, hey, at least, at least things are starting to come back a little bit here so uh, on to the gaming news of the week it's got to be a sign of optimism for the halo series that it has already been re-signed for season two if it looked like a dumpster fire in the previews or whatever the the screening that phil spencer has watched or whoever else re-signed this then we wouldn't be getting a season two but getting a season two uh, that's actually a pretty big deal already. Sea of Thieves Shrouded Islands Adventure is now live with a new storyline. If you're a big Sea of Thieves player, you can go look and play that. Intel this week gave us a pretty healthy update on their, their gaming side. First off, Intel literally announced Endgame, or I should say Project Endgame. Now, they didn't give a ton of details about this, but what it sounds like is a game streaming-ish like service from the cloud, or maybe it's a component streaming service, depending on how you want to look at it. It sounds like it's a very much an NVIDIA style streaming service where you can have hardware in the cloud and utilize that hardware to enhance your gaming experiences. Now, Intel is obviously working on GPUs and things like that. 
And so that's how this appears to be working out is that, hey, you can't run 4K 120 frames per second. Well, go to Intel's endgame and you can rent a GPU in the cloud and, and get some extra extra GPU horsepower or something like that. That's what it appears to be. But they're calling it Project Endgame. They're very clearly confident in it. Now, depending on how you interpret this, it also looks like the GPUs kind of sort of maybe got a little bit delayed. We're going to get some GPUs here in the spring, and it looks like the desktop GPUs that most of us are probably most interested in are not going to arrive until I believe a little bit later than most had anticipated. That being said, they're still coming this year. I'm still highly interested in these things, and I think Intel also alluded to, like these are not going to be 3090 Ti competitors. I'm, I'm expecting more of like the 3060, 3070 sort of range but even so if they can fill out that mid-market which is where the breadth of gpus are sold that would be a very good thing for just the average consumer more pressure downward pricing good for us also one minor programming not even programming no but one minor note uh galactic civilizations 3 is now available on the pc through game pass so my company makes that and i you should go play it because my company makes it so anyways uh on to the questions of the week which are always my favorite part always my favorite part and i don't just make that up because this is the best part of the i'm at a i'm usually in a good mood generally an optimist but i'm more so than usual i don't even know why i don't even know why anyways uh on to the questions of the week coming in question number one from the joe finn microsoft is using the windows app sdk to rebuild the new inbox apps like paint notepad task and manager any clue what apps will be written rewritten rewritten next that is a good question because they've taken care of the minor ones the one app that i am looking for for microsoft getting better signal clarity are the mail app and the calendar app we've heard about this one this one outlook thing floating around for a while which was sort of like a web app but we don't quite know and then the plans have changed things got delayed supposedly now not coming until the major refresh of windows 11 in the fall and so that is the one that i think is next on the block but we don't quite know if it's going to be rewritten in the same way as say paint or notepad i will say that they did redo the photos app and they screwed up the one thing that i used photos app previously had a great uh like red dot or dust removing tool is how i typically use it a little blotch thing you tap it on there and then whatever item was there would just disappear it was great it's gone they took away the one thing we like uh so i'm hoping that it is the outlook or email app at the end of the day jnbck says chuck schumer was going on to spur microsoft investment in the capital region of new york i saw he had a meeting with brad Smith never heard anything productive came about of it. Well, so these this is could be very generally political theater. We don't quite know. Brad Smith is the chief. Well, he was a chief legal counsel. I don't know if he's assumed another title inside the world of Microsoft, but he is definitely driving policy, driving Washington D.C. Um, engagement and that sort of thing. These conversations happen all the time. I have not heard anything specific coming out of this. Also, keep in mind, these things take a while to materialize. They don't just come and say, look, we're going to shake hands. Well, Brad Smith could have been like, look, get us a package of, of things that you that you can provide to make it more exciting for us to uh, build an office there. Could be the way that they're looking at it. These things take time. Politics and the wheel of justice moves quite slow. Uh, Shark 47, apps notwithstanding, Windows and tablet mode doesn't feel like iOS or Android. Even websites load differently and many don't support touch as well. Do you know if this is something Microsoft will ever be able to fix? Well, they tried, my friend. They tried very hard, and you can go back and start with Windows 8 or even maybe Windows RT. They tried to create a touch-friendly browser where you'd swipe up from the bottom and get the task or get the URL bar and other things. They tried like hell. 
and it did not work out. Their tablet experience just never caught on in any meaningful way, which is why they've effectively abandoned it. And so they are really just adding in niceties, if you will, to the desktop to support gestures on a touchscreen. But I don't think, I don't foresee Microsoft going all in on a unique tablet interface again because it's clear that apple owns that environment and let's see let's be honest look at even android tablets they are a pittance compared to what apple does with the ipad in terms of sales volume at the higher end where microsoft would want to be with the margins and so i don't think microsoft is going to make any massive widespread overscaled uh interface for tablets on windows i think that they have just kind of moved away and said look we'll make windows work on the touch slowly and iteratively but it's not going to be um, we wake up one day and Microsoft reveals the grand new touchscreen interface because that died uh, a long time ago. Uh, HRLNGRV says, this is a Stardock question. So Stardock is the company that I work at. Uh, I believe you heard you say, uh, say Stardock's potential customers base are those who want to do a lot of tweaking. Yes, at least my division of Stardock, we... We specialize, if you, if there's something about Windows you don't like, we can probably change it, fix it, make it better, change it to purple if you really want um, to do a lot of tweaking. That is what Stardock Software was initially started as uh, and did. And so I'm wondering if there's any chance you would go full Linux in the sense of providing a multiple taskbars called Linux Panels Desktop Environment and let users decide which taskbar components go where. I'm going to guess Stardock has a few people who used to do a fair bit of light step and maybe even uh, wind theming, we absolutely did, in which case they would have an idea of what's possible. I am very familiar with what's possible um, because there are shell replacements, as he points out, like Cairo desktop environment. Any chance of a full desktop replacement from Stardock? So it's not outside our capabilities right now in like full transparency windows 11 reset a lot of how things get done in windows this is why windows 11 launched without a lot of features like op like taskbar options uh, when you right click on the taskbar because microsoft microsoft did change a lot people are thinking like it's just the same taskbar it's i can assure you it is in fact not the same taskbar i, I can i would i will put my hand on this surface and say it is not the same taskbar it might have some code that's left over but holistically it was a rewrite at least in some capacity or a rework significantly which changes up how we have to do things i can't promise that we're going to build a full uh cairo desktop like environment i will tell you that that conversation is has happened or is happening like we're looking through about how we can actually implement additional features and functionality to windows 11 they're going to be wide scale and appealing and things that we can support you have to keep in mind that microsoft is now moving faster than they had in pretty much any previous version of windows we saw a lot of promises with windows 10 but they didn't materialize in any any way that seemed super meaningful and so we have to be able to implement something and then make sure we can support it through each of these updates because there's going to be no worse scenario knock on wood than we ship a product update and then microsoft nukes it in the next one and by nuke it i don't mean copy it or implement the same features we mean um, it no longer is functional because Microsoft changed the way they do things. We've already had some challenges with the weather uh, widget because, again, Microsoft changed some Z ordering on the taskbar, which means we had to go in and tinker with our stuff. Either way, um, I can't promise that we would get there, but I can promise you that we've had the conversations and we're looking at how we implement it. We gotta, we're got we not we're not Microsoft at the end of the day. We have a, a small, very dedicated team of awesome engineers who build this stuff out, but at the same time, we're not, we, don't have a, we don't make a billion dollars a quarter um, Microsoft makes way more than a billion dollars a quarter. We don't make 15 to 18 billion dollars a quarter uh, like Microsoft does. Although I think every company on the planet would love to. ARJ says, off topic, 
But I'd like to get an update on the Tesla ownership experience now that you've had some time with the car. So yeah, uh, so I have a Model Y, a 2020. Now, that is now actually really important to di differentiate because my car, thankfully, has autopilot. All the cars have autopilot, but my car has radar. In 2021, they removed radar, and I think it was a, a massive mistake for Elon and everything else that they've done because autopilot is now quite bad on the radarless cars. There's actually uh, one of the government agencies is looking into what Tesla is doing because of a thing called phantom braking. Now, every car has, with forward collision warning, can experience phantom braking. That is not definitely unique to Teslas. The problem is, is that it occurs at a rate that is significantly higher than the deviations of other uh, car companies. And it's a problem. It is absolutely a problem. And if you can go on any forum and talk about people using autopilot without radar and seeing phantom braking is massive. I use autopilot a lot with radar. Keep in mind when I drive up to the office, probably I'm doing 300 miles a month purely on autopilot, which is great. Now, keep in mind, people, this is not full self-driving. This is quite literally on the highway. You, you, you turn it on and it, it stays in your lane, keeps you distance. It's um, like really fancy advanced control, traffic aware cruise control because it does the corners and everything else. That being said, it is great. It was great. The, the first time I've actually had maybe an issue where battery kind of hurt me a little bit was actually this last trip up because when I left my house, it was 12 degrees Fahrenheit. That's below zero C and cold weather really, really hurts your range. And so when I go to the office, I only have to stop one time. It's actually perfect. There's a supercharger dead smack in the middle. It's four hours round trip door to door to Starduck office from my house. Two hours north, I hit a supercharger stop for 20 minutes, and then I'm on my way. Uh, and then I'm into the then the next stop is at the office. And so the problem was it was so cold that I had to actually stop twice. Thankfully, the supercharger network is quite robust, and there were plenty of options to stop. But I actually had to stop twice to be able to make it to the office because it was so cold. I mean, I'm driving. 75 70 75 miles an hour in 12 degree weather with the heat pretty high it really takes a hit on that battery but otherwise been pretty happy i think the tesla tesla quality control is always going to be a thing i've had to take my car in a couple times for just rattles but knock on wood nothing nothing substantial really and uh, i quite like it i mean the question becomes would i buy another battery uh, electric vehicle or BEV, I absolutely would. If I, given all the options on the planet, like right now, I really like the, uh, I like what Rivian is doing. I like their vehicles. Um, I like the Porsche Taycan would be probably like the ultimate, like, hey, I've made it. If I'm not buying a 911, I'm probably buying a Taycan. Um, I don't, I have reservations about the new Model S and X, mostly just the yoke. I, it's not that I don't like the vehicle. It's like I, the thing you touch the most in the car is a yoke, and I wish they would just make it a steering wheel. But either way, I'm not looking to buy a $100,000 car right now. But, you know, you got a dream. Uh, Crunchy Frog says, while foldable phones are in the mainstream lately, they are hardly sweeping the industry. Rumors keep floating around about the foldable iPhone. I'd love to know your take on such a drastic change in the iPhone line. Would such a device be interesting to you and iPhone users in general? So I am definitely an iPhone user. I wear an Apple Watch. I'm definitely in the Apple ecosystem. Um, and just for those who are in, it makes it easier when everybody's in. That's how Apple sucks you in. Now, a couple things to keep make clear. When Apple launches a foldable, provided they do, they may not, if they do, it will not definitely not be an, like they will not replace the iPhone. It will be an additional device. They'd be crazy. It's probably going to be called something like iPhone Fold or iPhone Bendy or iPhone Gumby or whatever, whatever they come up with. 
it potentially could be interesting, but I don't... Like, the, the problem I stop I trouble with the Duo, uh, the problem I trouble with the Samsung Galaxy Fold, um, anything that folds really is, is it materially making the mobile experience better? Like, is it really making it better than a single screen device? And up until now, except for in very limited scenarios, things like uh, Xbox Cloud Gaming, the answer is typically no. Um, it can be sometimes great to have a list on one thing and an email on another, like certain scenarios in work. Like if you're an on-call IT individual, having a Surface Duo actually could make sense because you could see the email up top and try to respond or, or triage it down below on the other screen. I would. It, the thing that's, they're, they're lacking the killer apps. I think a lot of people forget that one of the things that made iPhone and just smartphones in general popular were, was the killer app. And that killer app, in my opinion, was Google Maps or just mapping in general, being able to stand in a location, type in an address and see exactly where you needed to go was the killer app that, uh, that drove adoption. Because you can't say it's texting and messaging because that already existed on previous devices. And so the internet in some in a lot of capacity did exist on other devices as well. Maybe not as rich and robust as what we have today by a, a long shot, but it was Google Maps and that sort of mapping technology that really brought smartphones into the mainstream. So I'd be looking for the killer apps. So, uh, Mr. PKI rounding out with the last question of the week, his favorite spot to be. Uh, two questions on gaming this week. Stardock is going to be joining Game Pass. We'll be able to share how the revenue stream works in the Game Pass model. I cannot. <laughs> nope, I cannot. Um, second question is around Halo Infinite. Are you still playing the multiplayer regularly as it seems that, cons that concurrent users on Steam has dropped 80%? This has been an ongoing narrative for Halo Infinite. So, two things on Halo Infinite. First off, EA came out in an internal meeting. It was leaked out that they sort of blamed Halo Infinite multiplayer for Battlefield launching as a dumpster fire. Rather than looking in the mirror and saying, we did this, they're going to say, nope, Halo Infinite multiplayer played a part in Battlefield's poor reception. No, 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 no. Battlefield launching in a horrific state without a leaderboard is what killed Battlefield. And so, uh, that being said, I do still play it. Actually, last night I played about a game and a half, really. Uh, because I'm getting... I love Warzone, but I'm getting really frustrated by it with all the bugs and their, a lot of their decision-making. And not... I'm an old gamer... Old, older gamer, I should say. I like things just to stay the same. I don't mind that the I don't mind the new map, but they keep changing in and out modes. If you just have to go in and change my guns and send set up, and we have to change, I just I just want to log in, play three four games, and be done, and and stop with the madness of removing things or changing things up. Uh, and so I did. We ended up jumping into Halo for a couple games, but at that point it was off. But either way, to his point is that Halo Infinite, the user base, like most games, right? They they start to tail off. And so what Microsoft and 343 have to figure out is they got to get more content. Like they need more content. And it's clear that Halo Infinite launched in a state, in a state that was pretty good for a very limited slice of the Halo experience, meaning certain multiplayer aspects were really good, like the movements, the gun mechanics, um, they had leaderboards, and other things worked really well. The problem was is that it was confined to a limited scope of maps and gameplay styles, and so they just now are starting to get big team battle fixed, and so 
it, they definitely have issues that they have to that you can't just gloss over, and that's why their user base is falling off. Because you look at it, you look at like Destiny Two. Now, Destiny Two is not perfect, and they definitely had their issues on the front side. But they keep launching a systematic campaign and storyline drops that keep things fresh. That is what Halo is going to have to do. They need more maps, they need more gameplay styles, they need more Iron Trials like events uh, to pull people back in. Because right now, you play the same three maps effectively so many times, you just get bored, and that that's really what you kind of run into. And so we'll see what happens here. Maybe Forge will bring some life back in. We're supposed to get co-op campaign, but candidly, at least for me, co-op campaign isn't is a non-starter. We'll see if Forge brings any life back to Halo Infinite. But they do have a challenge of trying to keep people active because it does not look like Halo Infinite, at least right now, has long-term sticking power that we were optimistic it had at the beginning. If they would have come out in November and, and December and dropped a game and said, look, in February, we're going to have three new maps and whatever, and then in August, we're going to have three new maps and whatever, I think that would do a lot to spur it on. But they launched with a store that was poorly monetized, or, or, or I should say overly aggressively monetized. It really angered a lot of people. And so um, Halo Infinite has the work ahead, right? They, they're, the limelight has shown on Halo Infinite, especially with Battlefield launching poorly and Vanguard launching effectively poorly. And they had this limelight for about a month and a half, two months, and now the light is starting to fade. And they got to keep it. They got to keep pumping the gas, otherwise, um, you know, it's going to kind of fall away. It's a great movement, great experience. The visuals are pretty darn good too, but the content depth is pretty lacking. And so, if you remember back before they launched Halo Infinite, they talked about how they had to cut so much content to be able to get the game out. Hopefully, we'll be seeing that content here very very soon and hopefully you'll be back next friday hopefully you have a wonderful weekend we'll catch all of you right back here next time